Get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020, joining me for another week of Parramatta and NRL news and my good mates, 60s and Quint. Fellas, even though it's the off-season, there is still so much happening. The uh, rumour cycle is in overdrive right now of some player movement happening with both Parramatta and other clubs involved. But as always, let's get to you boys first and I'll throw it to you, 60s. How you doing, big fella? Well, actually, is it the off-season? I mean, the temperature, it feels like the middle of winter. <laughs> it's gone, right from, gone from, like, yeah, it's balmy summer weather to winter in the blink of an eye. What about you, Clint? You're surviving the resurgence of winter? Oh, I, I tell you what, I'm like a Mentos ad from a bygone era earlier this morning. Um, yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a surprise, um, um, the, the weather at the minute. But, you know, um, the rugby league news continues and, and keeps us all on our toes. So I guess to echo your sentiments um, from earlier, yeah, <laughs> the rugby league season lives on, as does winter for today at least. And uh, rain or sunshine, winter or summer, it's always good to have a good round of golf. So shout out to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf out at North Mead, as well as Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellon and Parramatta, helping us make each and every episode happen. And now, boys, let's get right into it. News team, assemble! Well, fellas, right off the bat, we've got Parramatta making some of Rugby League's headlines over the last few days. So we'll talk about some of the things that have been discussed. Uh, First thing is the rumoured attempted swap of Josh Adokar and Ryan Madison, where the Eels are looking to secure Adokar from the Bulldogs. Um, Talk that the... Bulldogs are keen to get a forward, so the Eels would be considering Madison. I don't know how much truth there is to this. I haven't heard anything that's come out of the club. Um, it seems to be something that Phil Gould is denying as far as the dogs are concerned. What do you, what do you two boys make of this? Phil Gould denying it the way he did makes me think that it's a done deal. That's usually how it goes with Phil Gould. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, not a surprise to hear us linked to Adokar. It's something you floated 60s in recent podcasts, purely as a hypothetical sort of reading the market and reading, you know, almost like an Occam's Razor player there where uh, the dogs are always, been, uh, always looking to recruit and Adokar could have been surplus to requirements given their heavy needs in other primary positions like halfback. Uh, so, yeah, you did a good job sort of uh, reading the tea leaves there. But in saying that, I don't know. I mean, the... There's talk about having, you know, it being a player swap, but aren't Canterbury up against the cap themselves? Like, how would a player swap help them? Uh, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, we're we're talking about a club that even today has, and we're going to talk about it in our NRL news, has uh, signed now uh, Curran from the Warriors. So their their list of recruits gets longer and longer. And now they're talking about a player swap where, as you say, 
they're up against it salary cap wise you would have thought before acquiring uh Curran and there's no salary cap relief in a player swap is there no especially if someone of the profile of Ryan Madison where we yeah. we know he was retained by the Eels on coin uh requisite to his performances on the field in the vicinity of uh 700 or so thousand dollars with the media reports uh, a season so that that would be a cap deficit if anything for the Canterbury Bulldogs when coming to the idea of swapping with Josh out of car. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't have come from, almost certainly wouldn't have come from Parramatta's camp, given everything we've known about the Eels uh, with their current administration. They just don't leak these sort of rumours. So, he thinks it came from either manager or, or the Canterbury camps here in order to maybe just stir up Adokar's value because immediately in the wake of the Eels being linked to Adokar in the last couple of days, we've had the Knights and a couple of other clubs like the Dragons and the uh, Tigers, I think, come out as also potential suitors that are keen to get the services of the representative winger. So maybe Canterbury are trying to sort of charge up a little bidding war if they can, if they are looking for a player swap, let's, let's say it is actually credible. Um, obviously, you want to try and get the best player possible. So maybe they're, just, they're the ones that leak this in order to drum up a, as big a market as possible for Adokar. Look, nothing would surprise. You know my take, as you alluded to, when it comes to Josh Adokar, I, I've been banging on about he, he had to be one of the Eels' targets, had to be one of the Eels' targets. And you'd say from this he possibly, um, you know, at the very least there's a, there's an interest there. How, how much it's been embellished as far as the media reports are concerned or what's been leaked out, we don't know. But, Clint, would he be an acquisition that you would welcome and secondly do you realistically see the eels swapping out uh forward like ryan madison for josh adokar i like the leading questions there 60s because you, you absolutely read my mind in terms of the points i was going to make um a hundred percent i'd welcome josh adokar into our side um his speed would, would infinitely improve our back line um i'm sure we can all just imagine the short side raids with mitch moses will penasini and Josh Adokar, assuming he, he would play on the right edge if he was to join our team with Mike Acevo occupying the left edge. Um, yeah, I think he'd be a fantastic addition to our side. If, if we could make it happen, um, let's do it yesterday. Um, but it has to be under the right conditions. And, and swapping Ryan Madison for Josh Adokar, the suggestion of that, in my mind, is absolutely ludicrous. Um, the value that we, we're talking about a forward who for the duration of his uh, contract with the Eels thus far has averaged uh, in the vicinity of almost 95% tackle efficiency and um, well into the over the 130 metre mark across his or three, four seasons to date with us now. So um, he's clearly someone um, that's of value to us. He's also someone who only recently extended after we'd lost a, a, a fair a whack of our forward pack from the 2022 grand final squad. Um, so, um, you know, we, we know how much Brad Arthur likes to build his squads around uh, a forward pack and having decent depth within the forwards, um, uh, particularly going off the, the makeup and build of the squad of the last um, few seasons past. But, um, yeah, look, I... I personally think that if, um, and, and given our current cap situation and, and, and the fact that we're in the market for outside backs at the moment, we could absolutely make Josh Adokar happen without having to swap anyone out. 
So uh, this absolutely reeks of the Bulldogs trying to artificially um, inflate the value of Josh Adokar and the demand around him. I, I, I think your inclinations and, and what you um, gestured to uh, before, gents, is most likely on the mark there. In the uh, digital equivalent of a pub poll, what I did or was sort of privy to in the wake of that uh, sort of rumour breaking initially the other day, um, there were a lot of people uh, who, I, who I consider you know, good judges of football that were quite happy to make that swap, you know, give Ryan Madison away to the Bulldogs to get Josh Adokar. Um, I think a lot of it has been coloured by the fact that uh, people had their, understandably, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this is a defence for Maddo, but people were upset by his actions uh, between the grand final and round one where he, um, in the end, mistakenly you know, took the, the guilty plea for the suspension over the fine ended up hurting the team pretty badly across the first three rounds, and I think that's coloured people, again, understandably, a bit against him there. Um, but I, at the same time, there's a bit of me that's the devil's advocate here saying that if you're for it, I, I'd be very careful of uh, what you'd give up with getting Ryan Madison out of the team. I think that he absolutely he, he covers a lot. Maybe maybe holds the wrong word, but he, he takes on a pretty important workload in that second rotation for the middle for us, and he's... We have to wait and see whether someone like Kelma Talangi can show that same versatility to play the middle and the edge in our system. But with Marada Niakore gone and Ryan Madison here, I know Sean Lane's played a little bit in the middle, but Maddo is our only true inside-outside or edge-slash-middle mm. hybrid forward. So he, he brings a lot of versatility to, to a team that loves having versatile pieces. So, yeah, if we did need to make, make way for someone in terms of cap space, which, God, I hope we don't have to, given all the talk about acquiring an X-Factor player and where did that money go, mm. um, then I, I don't know the answer to that question because that is a difficult question. But, yeah, getting rid of Ryan Madison, I wouldn't be jumping on board so quickly. And the other well, we, um, oh, sorry, sorry, sexy. I was just, I was just going to say that uh, the other player too that uh, we uh, allowed to leave uh, that could play edge and middle was Ice. Yes. Mm. So it, it, you're talking about the loss of Nicore and Ice, and, um, you know, if you added Maddo into the mix, then that versatility factor that was there in 2022 would almost be non-existent then in 2024. Good shout there, Sixties. And, and, and in addition to that, I, I, I think it's worth mentioning that we shouldn't allow our desire for outside back um, to, um, uh, I, I, I guess, create a rose-coloured glass situation uh, where we um, we happily trade away a, a player who, who has those strengths, ha- brings those attributes to our side. And we're, we're talking about a guy who's played Origin um, as well here. Um, granted, it's only one game and people argue, yeah, you know, he was a Freddy pick, he was a Freddy one-hit wonder or whatever, but he still played Origin. Um, and, and he was playing some damn good football to get there and he still has, in, in, in my view played some pretty good footy this year for us as well um so look you know it's in in terms of overall value um i think ryan madison provides us a lot more value than what josh adokar does and not let any i guess negative sentiment towards ryan madison and the way he handled his uh suspension um from the nrl grand final into the beginning of the 2023 season yeah look I think the other question that has to be asked is, where's our salary cap at? Because if we're talking about having to do a player swap to 
maybe make it happen from a financial point of view, that's that's a that's a bit unexpected for mine. I mean, we were talking about earlier this year looking at recruiting an X factor outside back or fullback, and obviously that didn't transpire. Uh, we you had to assume that we had money in the bank to be able to do it back then. Uh, I know that we've made some extensions uh, to contracts since then, but again, you'd have to say that there was money that uh, that perhaps wasn't spent last season. I know you can't carry uh, a whole lot of money over into the into the next year. The NRL has rules around that. But we must have budgeted going forward that there was money for outside back recruits and and at least one significant one. So there is one situation, sixties, where I am okay with us having to shed salary cap if it means signing an outside back. And that's yeah. that would be where we are making more than one acquisition in the back line. That would be the only situation which I think would be acceptable for our cap management. So it would mean getting, uh, in this case, Josh Odokar plus one, whether it's Connor Tracy or maybe someone else we're going to discuss in this podcast. Uh, that would be the only, in my books, the only way to be considered acceptable. Because you can't go from talking about getting an X factor to then talking about shedding core players to get... Josh Odokar is a good player, but I would not say he is a great player. At this stage, you know, which which I know sounds a little bit disingenuous to how good Josh Adokar is, but uh, if you're talking about going and get an, a, a legitimate X factor, Adokar enters that territory. But I don't think he's a he's a marquee bang the door, a kick down the door, bang the table sort of signing. Well, he's not. He's he's probably not your eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollar a year uh, acquisition. However, I would see him as someone who, if I want to categorise a signing as, does this player enhance the Eels' chances or enhance their premiership opportunities, mm-hmm. then I would say, yes, they enhance. Now, I, I'm not when I use that word enhance, I'm be, be very, very clear about this. I don't mean they turn them, he turns them into premiership winners. But I mean I, he, I, he improves their lot. I, to, I agree. In, in terms it, of being, being able to compete... Mm. It's one of the most are. simple but important criteria for uh, either you know judging an actual recruit or looking at a prospective recruit is does this get you closer to a premiership? And I think Adokar does. Um, yes, and, and that that's why maybe uh, and, you know people listening to me in the last few episodes might have you know him he, be being a little bit dour on someone like Morgan Harper because I think that's at the other side of the spectrum where uh, I don't think that moves the needle towards a premiership. And I understand you've got to have guys to feel like a squad, uh, but. Given where we are off the back line, I was a little bit disappointed that was the first signing we made. So, Adokar is a positive. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, again, I, I would be upset if it meant we... If we were in a position where we had to shed caps to get a Josh Adokar, I would be frustrated. But if we yeah, get... You'd, jo- you'd, be saying, you'd be saying there's... That something's wrong with our cap, yeah. that we haven't, got the, we haven't got the space to be able to uh, make an acquisition like that. Now, you said before about... Um, a second acquisition, well, maybe maybe that's the problem, is that we are looking at at two recruits. And, of course, a name that still keeps floating around at the moment is Pappenhausen from 
the storm. Now, obviously, injury, uh, well, let's make it a plural, injuries are a major concern with Ryan Pappenhausen. Now, if he got a medical clearance, is he someone that you would be very pleased with the Eels recruiting? Throw it to you first, 40. Yeah, I think you talk about, again, the word gets overused, but X Factor. Uh, Pappenhausen, at least pre-knee uh, shattering, uh, had that in spades by virtue of being just elite in speed. And speed is arguably the single greatest ingredient towards a premiership that the Eels lack. They've got the power. They've got you know agile players like Will Penasini. They've got skillful and talented players across the park in the forwards, in the back line, in the halves. They haven't got out-and-out speed. Josh Adokar has that. Ryan Pappenhausen has that. And I think, uh, you know, then the, then comes a the conversation of where do you play him? Is he going to be your fullback? And then you put Guffers in the centre and whatnot. Uh, I, I think that's probably the way you go to it. But in the vacuum, it comes back to that idea of you go out and get the talented player and then you figure out everything else after. I think Pappenhausen yeah. improves the team, assuming that he passes your medicals. Um, his, his most recent injury was the broken ankle, which initially looked awful. It looked like it was going to be a bad compound fracture. But the reports in the wake of it were that it was much better than initially anticipated. And I imagine he'll be back to a, essentially a full preseason, so that shouldn't put him back too much uh, behind the uh, the old timeline there for recovery. Um, but yeah, I, I would strongly consider a Ryan Pappenhausen acquisition if he is there. And again, if he passes your medicals. Um, he yeah, has he has the out-and-out speed. And we, we're a team with the Dylan Browns, the Mitchell Moseses, the... You know, even out in the centres of Will Penasini's and even guys like Sean Lane, they they have all these opportunities just waiting there for someone like Ryan Pappenhausen to be screaming onto the ball. Yep, and we have an unusual situation where probably the fastest players in our backline are the players that are starting off with the ball in their hand in mm-hmm. our in our halves, mm-hmm. and we saw last year opportunities that were created but we didn't have the pace to finish them off uh, a number of times, uh, especially in that run of really close losses that we had at the start of the year. And you have to think just how costly that was in the, in the scheme of things as, as it worked out with where the Eels finished, that uh, one, two or three of those narrow losses, those four-point losses turned into... A win. I mean, we know that those losses actually came down to missed goal kicking mm-hmm. at the time, but within those were try opportunities not taken. So a little bit of extra pace, and whether that's coming from the fullback chiming in, whether it's the winger at the end of the line, uh, whatever the case may be, um, it was an area where we didn't excel and where a number of other clubs have some really fast outside backs. Um, Clint, would you take a Ryan Pappenhausen um, if if he were to come to the Eels? Would you be welcoming him with open arms? I'm definitely open to it, um, cautiously open to it. Um, you guys touched on something incredibly important there, and speed is absolutely what we're missing. You know, it's 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 the ingredient that um, that we we just need to add to to our recipe to to hopefully uh, crack this. Premiership duck that we're um, we're currently experiencing, but um, yeah, look at, at the same time, you know, and 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 maybe this is just you know um, 
a, a, a love for our current captain. Um, geez, Gutho adds so much to us defensively as well, you know, and, and uh, are we potentially sacrificing um, uh, points conceded? Um, There's a legit that, opportunity you know, cost there, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, are we chasing attack and then sacrificing a little bit in our defense? I guess is, is the main point that I'm getting at there. Um, you know, and, and, and he's he, he's central to a lot of the things that we do. You know, and, you know Gutho is an excellent player. He's an excellent fullback. And, you know, I, I know you, you two both hold him in high regard as well. Um, and the only knock on his game is that he just lacks that little bit of acceleration over the first 10 meters that would probably make him super elite. Um, you know, but we, uh, oh, geez, it's, it, it'd be a good problem to have. And I, I absolutely adopt Forty's mantra of you find, a, you know, if the opportunity presents itself, you then find a way to make all the players work, um, work and, and, and fit inside the and 17. Part of me yeah. also thinks that after missing the boat on some of those guys in the last 18 months, you know, it comes back to guys like Herbie Farnworth and even someone like the Hammer, who you could have taken a flyer on, you know, before he joined Redcliffe and, I, even as someone who wanted us to get hammer back in the day, I, I didn't project him to turn out as good as he has. So that that's like not me. So I, to my own horn, it's more like we that was just an incredible opportunity for anyone that could have got him. Um, we're sort of forced to take risks now, and it's it's frustrating. But someone like Pappenhausen, who has the injury history, your medicals might not be as clean as you'd want, but maybe you got to take those chances if if you think that this team has what it takes to win a premiership, and they got to a grand final. So obviously they they have the qualities, but they're missing a little bit, you might have to take those risks now because the window is going to start closing. We've got forwards that are getting older, you know, Junior and Reg, and they're still playing very good football, but they are going to start slowing down. So maybe you do have to take those risks now in the next year or two. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm going to move on, fellas, because I wanted to talk about the uh, putting a player like uh, Matthew Arthur into the headlines in the last week. Now, I know that journos are looking for a story and they also knew that in in talking about another Arthur coming through into first grade, that they were going to trigger a certain element within the Eels supporter group. And they did so successfully. Right? We've, seen, we've all seen some of the reactions on... Um, certain sites and uh, and and also in the uh, responses to the uh, Fox Sports, uh, the article as it appeared on the Fox Sports uh, Facebook page and website. Let's just get a couple of things into perspective here. First of all, to clarify something, Woods Arthur is not on the development list for next year. So there was an inaccuracy to start off with straight away he will be on a development contract in 2025 not in 2024 so he there will there are others that are in his age group that have been elevated to a higher contract faster than him so let's just let's just make that very clear right from the start secondly there's been uh, uh, an increased profile put on him because the last name is Arthur, there are just as many talented players that are coming through from his particular um, SG ball and uh, Jersey flag team that will be involved in the Eels squad next year 
and whether they are dev list or whether they are on other tiered contracts that allows them to train with the eels, you are going to see an influx of younger players in there. So we're going to see the likes of Blaze Talungi involved. And Blaze, and people would be aware, Blaze was actually on a development contract this year. All right. Now, he is a talented player, but there weren't too many headlines about Blaze being on a development contract already this year. Um, he's a player that deserves one. Um, and I thought he had quite a remarkable season given his injuries to to have the impact in the team that he ended up having in both the SG ball and the Jersey flag was a fantastic season. But, you know, we're also going to see players coming through the, the likes of uh, Richard Penasini's coming through. You've got uh, Jock Brazel coming through. You've got Charlie Geimer coming through. You've got Sam Tuavaiti coming through. We've got Arpa Twidal um, coming through. He he inked a two-year deal with the Eels just recently. So there are a number of players that are forcing their way through the pathways. And unfortunately, uh, because his name's Arthur, is uh, you know, Buds has copped the um, the attention in the media. So first of all, to Eels supporters, I'll say this: there is an influx of younger players coming through. Matt Arthur's just one of them. And um, and as far as things go in terms of how he plays, I think a lot of the negative comments have come from people who have never seen him play because anyone who's seen him play is not going to be making some of the comments that we've seen floating around. Um, a lot of and, armchair experts were having some oh, deep analysis on his game and the weaknesses of his uh, oh. playing kit. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, it's it's a, it's it's actually been quite ludicrous. But I I just want I merely wanted to speak on it today, simply to pick up the the main inaccuracy, which is he's not a, he's not on the development list next year. Straight ahead. like so, people can people can make of that what they want. Uh, but for those who are talking about, you know, an Arthur gets fast tracked ahead of other players. There's your first example. He's not on a dev list next year. So there you go. There's a, there's there's the correction straight away. So I think we'll leave it at that because I don't want to put Budzi in the in the head in the headlines or anything like that. All I wanted to do was just to to clarify an inaccuracy from the report. So um uh but he he does, as we've said, have that contract where he will be on a dev list in 2025, not 2024. Now, I'm going to move on from there. Uh, fellas, I wanted to talk about the uh, Eels NRLW player, Mahalia Murphy, and her uh, how she's currently starring on the current series of SAS. And that was obviously filmed before the NRLW season. But, um, you know, it's it's a shame that, it wasn't shown before the season because yeah, it would have explained a lot. A... <laughs> it would have explained a lot. A beast off the field, a beast on the field. Uh, well, look, she was absolutely one of the shining lights in a what was a, a very ordinary season for our eels. But watching her on, in in this series, it's no surprise to see that why she was uh, one of the stronger players in the team 
during a, such a tough season. Um, have you have you managed to catch much of her um, performance in the SAS series uh, at all, fellas? I've only seen some snippets, but I was impressed. I, that was after you pointed out to me how well she was going, so I went out and had a little poke around. And uh, I'm not a big free-to-wear TV watcher anymore. Um, I'm not a big TV watcher in general, actually. So, yeah, I went out of my way to watch a little bit of it. And, yeah, uh, without seeing the broader context, I was still impressed. And like we're just saying, it, it sort of it does explain a lot about why she was so impressive on the field as an eel. Oh, look, uh, the mental fortitude for a start, but the, the way she pushes herself physically, and um, there was uh, one of the one of the more physical contests that uh, was like a game of murder ball where she was up against the, the fellow whose claim to fame is that he was the original um, bachelor. But he, the bloke, the bloke is obviously a little bit older than her, but built like, you know, he's obviously spends a lot of time in the gym and uh, she got the better of him. And um, yeah, it was it was quite the contest. So, but apart from that, just her resilience and toughness is, um, you know, it, it's, and leadership actually. I mean, she comes across as quite the leader. So, um, it, it will be interesting to see what happens next year in terms of the Eels team. But she's certainly been someone that's uh, stood out. And as I said, it would have been. I think it would have been great promotion for the Eels and for the NRLW if it, uh, if she had been starring on uh, SAS um, before the season kicked off rather than after the season had finished. So, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, it was that's been good to watch. And uh, so she's still in it. They're down to the final six in the series. And uh, it's, the, it's the last week of the show coming up next week. So if you haven't had a chance to catch it there's only a, a couple of episodes to go and uh, we'll see if she ends up making selection now fellas it's time to switch over to a bit of general nrl news um 40 you got a bit of um you were talking to me the other day about the situation around dominic young yeah i was sort of just eating my dinner had the news on the background and they led with a report saying that tom young's in hospital with a sinus infection that had spread to his brain. I was like, oh my goodness. You don't hear that too often. Uh, so it was in a serious but stable condition, evidently, um, and which would imply, hopefully imply that he's on the way to recovery. But uh, that's terrifying. Like whenever you get a, a stuffy nose due to a sinus infection, you've got that pain around your sort of eye sockets, and then to think that that can spread to your brain and then become a real issue, um, the more you know. Yeah, I- and I often wonder too about hearing of well, I'll keep it to rugby league athletes that rugby league athletes that have to be hospitalised where something has gone wrong, like a something that starts off quite simple has gone wrong. Is it, Clint? Is there is there something about being an athlete where their their body is always being pushed to the limits that? You know, something simple like a sinus infection or a or a cut or, you know, something happens where the the body is under attack in a way that maybe most regular people wouldn't be, um, you know, having difficulties with. Uh, I absolutely think that's the case. You know, you, you think of the level of training and, and, and what they put their body through. It's constantly in a state of stress, you know, um, 
stress from from, from the weights and, and 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 the barbells stress from um uh, uh, uh from a cardiovascular perspective they're constantly pushing the limits of their vo2 max um you know then 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 from a skills perspective as well you know things are done at pace and um a constant change of direction um and you know it's not like they have an off season and they go oh okay well i don't do any type of training at all for um for a period of um of eight to nine weeks um and obviously um dom young um uh, went uh, deep into the season with newcastle in the semi-finals and uh, was he part of the great britain's yeah he was he was in he was in, the, yeah. in camp when it happened i believe so he, yeah, so he was training as as, as as so it's it's not um it's not only not beyond the the realms of, of possibility it's it's i personally believe and you know um i'm saying this with anecdotal evidence as opposed to um direct evidence but you, you, when you when you think of it in its most simplest form these are guys who are constant have their bodies constantly in a state of stress they're, they're rarely relaxed probably the only time they're they're really relaxed is is, is when they're sleeping and you know that's just so they can recover just in time to to um to uh, uh, produce their next level of output, and then uh, watch, rinse, repeat that that cycle. So, um, yeah, you look. It's it, obviously I, I I'm also a big believer that the the body, uh, the human body is a smart thing, and it sends um, it sends you messages in the form of the way in which um, you know, uh, in terms of your your physical and mental well being. So, um, I have I have no doubt that there's probably something um, to what you're saying there, sixties. Yeah, well, it always seems to be. You know, you're always reading about, you know, a players had to had to be put in hospital on a drip. You know, they've got a a, a, a case of the flu, or they've got blood poisoning from. Um, and I know that happens, obviously, when they they've got a cut and they've been playing out on a muddy field or what have you. But they end up with blood poisoning, or there's always seems to be a player that's in hospital for something that. Uh, I mean, it obviously does happen to the general public. Like people, people have to be hospitalised with the flu from you know, you know, like in in extreme circumstances or what have you. But you know, you see instances where they're in hospital and then then they're playing by the weekend. Mm. But they're in hospital. I think like, it happened a week. few times with Blake Ferguson in his time with us, didn't it? Yeah, it, it's it. From my recollection, it there will be multiple times during a year where you hear about players that are hospitalised for one reason or another, but they're back playing within a week or two. Um, but sometimes, yes, within the same week. They're, you know, they're off to hospital. They're having to spend time in, in hospital. And I just wondered whether, you know, because you assume, you make the assumption that these are these people are as fit and as healthy as you can get for, you know, so much fitter and healthier than the average person. But... Um, you know, seem to be uh, prone to picking up serious versions of um, of illnesses that are floating around. Anyway, just a just a uh, an off the cuff anecdotal sort of comment. Uh, moving on, um, we now have a bit of dogs news. Um, first of all, I'm going to throw it to you again, Forty, because you were the one that enlightened me with this: the injury to uh, Oluapu. Uh, one where there's talk of the extreme rehabilitation, which might mean sitting out for a year in 2024. I mean, do you think that's going to happen? And, and, and well, sorry, firstly, can you enlighten us as to the details of the injury and then 
whether you think this is actually likely to play out to be a uh, sitting out the game for 12 months situation. Yeah, the way it was initially framed, and of course the media are always going to try and push for the most sensational headline. I think it was Danley Wilder that broke it initially, saying that uh, he's facing the prospect of playing no football in 2024 uh, with a re-evaluation to happen once he goes post-surgery, uh, which I think the implication was like sort of like a, an implication about his long-term future as if he might be at risk of not playing ever again. Um, so he's, I don't know what he's done with his neck, uh, but it involves his neck. He's getting neck surgery. Um, and yeah, so now his short and, I suppose, long-term future are at risk. But that seems like a, a worst-case outcome here. I'm not sure if there's been a follow-up to it. Um, but yeah, the, it, one way or the other, he's got a, a neck injury to deal with, which is never good, even if it is a not a, a major neck injury, if you knock on wood for a player's young future. Yep. Okay, so now we'll go from um, illness and injury to recruitment, and we'll stay with the dogs to start things off. Josh Curran is now signed with the dogs. They seem to be able to continue to acquire players. Clint, they seem to be doing this better than... I'm not saying that their recruits are better than other clubs, but they seem (laughs) to sign more players than other clubs are able to do. It's like sign now, work it out later scenario. Um, <laughs> After pay and a real edition. Yeah, but I tell you what, I, I'm finding it hard to knock the acquisition of of Josh Curran. He he is a player that well, I think we spoke about him recently that uh, would you sign him at the Eels? And I, and I said, well, yes. Um, and Forty said, I oh, look with... You know, cautionary is um, is that would he actually fill a need that we have? Do we actually have a need for someone like him? No, probably not. But is he going to add value to a team like the like the Bulldogs? I'll I'll throw it to you, Clint. I've got a feeling I know what your answer will be. Does he add value to the Bulldogs? Yeah, absolutely, and. Um... It's a little annoying seeing one of our um, major rivals get a good acquisition like that because he um, he's probably uh, the archetype of player that that balances out some of the other style of players that they've um, they've got in that back row. You know, obviously you've got Kikau who's a who's a damaging ball runner. Um, you've got Preston who is a fantastic defender. Um, you know, I think he had somewhere in the vicinity of like a 95 percent tackle efficiency on the edge playing for the Bulldogs whose um, defence was absolutely trashed this year. So, um, and then you've got um, Curran, who is a good line runner. Um, he can absolutely hit a hole. And then likewise is, um, I know he has his moments where he drops off tackles, but li- likewise, he's, he's largely pretty dependable in defence. Um, you know, um, whether they choose to use him as a middle or, or use him on the edge, to be seen. I suppose it depends on how they want to use um, Preston as well and whether they see him exclusively as an edge player or someone they want to see lead their um, lead their defensive line in the middle third. But, um, you know, he's a player, we were speaking about um, uh, Maddo being someone who gives us options uh, earlier. Curran is someone who gives the Bulldogs options. So it's a good pickup. Um, how they manage to do it, don't know. Um, uh, the, the Gus recruitment strategy of uh, sling as many signings against the wall and see what sticks. Um, is um, absolutely made its way out from Penrith to Canterbury, so um, and work the rest out later, as as you touched on there. So 
um, I think they've got a good one here. And, you know, um, a two-year deal is, um, is probably good for both sides. Um, you know, it allows Curran to probably raise his, um, his value to that side um, and um, an angle for, for a pay increase um, should he have a good season um, in 2024. And likewise, um, if, if the Bulldogs uh, decide that he's not for anymore, they're not, they're not stuck with him for too long. Yep, absolutely. Um, now, next, we had uh, Jerome Luai, who was allowed to test the market, and it now seems 40 like the Panthers have been able to come in with a very competitive offer of their own. Yeah, far more competitive than I had anticipated. Um, I mean, I'm not a cap expert in terms of trying to keep track of where each club is at, but I sort of had him projected at maybe... Seven hundred, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars coming from the Panthers, uh, but uh, the the rumor now is, I say rumor, the report from the media is that there's a two year, one point seven million dollar deal on the table from the Penrith Panthers for Jerome Luai, so eight fifty per, which is a very competitive deal. I'm going to be honest, like that is a very competitive deal, uh, reflective of Luai's talents and his role within the team, where he has other players in the spine and in the back row in particular that help carry the playmaking load. Um, I think he'll get a, a much longer deal in the open market, and I think he will get a better value deal in the open market. So he'll be probably closer to a million per, uh, whether it's you know three, four, five years, whatever. You know, one of the poorer clubs. Poorer is such a weird thing to use in that term, but poorer in terms of success, not poorer in terms of our cap space. Uh, clubs are able to throw at him, uh, but it's going to take a pretty sensational deal to prize him from Penrith, in my opinion. Um, two years, eight fifty lets him go kind of like in the Josh Curran situation that you just detailed, Quinn, it lets him go back to the, the field this year, or this coming season, sorry, next year, have another good season, and then go back to the market again with another great year of our performance and maybe a better buy, like a better buyer's market uh, for him uh, to attack. So, yeah, he, he's, he's in a very good situation now. He can take that deal and be very happy, or he can, you know, as a free-time premiership winner now, look to cash in elsewhere and get that mega payday at a different club. So... Yeah, well done to him. Um, I, I, like we've mentioned in the past, I think there is an element of buyer beware for those that are courting Jerome Luai, particularly if you haven't got a very good organising halfback. Um, for Absolutely. instance, at, at the Bulldogs, the idea of uh, Luai and Burton playing six and seven, or Owapu, who looks to have transitioned more to a lock forward role, regardless of that injury that we just spoke about, um, none of that trio really, you know, not, it's not worthy, but fit into a number seven jersey in the conventional sense. So uh, you, you can back yourself into a corner with a high-profile recruitment of a player like Luai if you haven't got the pieces there to make him the final piece of the puzzle rather than being you know, the guy to come in and carry over a load. So, but he, he's in a fantastic position individually. Uh, like I said, he can go back to Penrith, get a very handsome payday and go back to the market next year with another $850,000 to come into his bank account after that. Um, or he can take the big money payday now. So well done to him, and be very interesting to see how it all plays out. Because yeah, that Penrith offer, Penrith offer, sorry, was far more competitive than I thought they'd be able to put together. What sort of money, Clint? Do you think would need to be offered by a club to steal him away from the Panthers? Uh, it would have to be in excess of a million dollars, and it would be the length of the deal. Um, I, I personally think it would take. A, if we're talking Canterbury here, I think they'd have to offer uh, over a million dollars, uh, you know, one to one point one million dollars over a four-year deal, um, at the very least, to 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 really um, 
get uh, wet his lips and, and make him consider making the move. Look, personally, being a th- if if I'm Jerome Luai and a, a three time uh, a three peat premiership winner, I do think it's time to cash in and, and, and make some bank and, and look after the long term. You're going to have a legacy regardless of what happens from this point in time, whether you like Jerome Luai or not. He's part of um, he's a part of NRL history now, uh, a, a colourful character um, in that history. Um, you know, so, you know, I don't think anyone, including the Panthers, would um, besmirch him for, for wanting to take the uh, um, money if it's on offer. But um, but if I am him, um, and to um, tack on to the end of 40s points there, um, he should make it count. And I would, uh, I, I would, I'd be milking external offers as much as, as much as I could, uh, for every dollar I could, so that you almost put yourself in a situation where you go... This money's this money's too silly to say no to. Go get your Godfather offer. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, now let's swap over from um, talking about the Panthers. We've covered the dogs. We, we've looked at the Panthers. Now over at the Sea Eagles. Uh, first of all, Nathan Brown, a one-year deal. It looks like. What's going on there? Yeah, that, that was the report that uh, <laughs> it started as a rumor on socials, and then I think it manifested into an actual mainstream press. Uh, outlet covering it as a either fact or century waiting to happen. So a one year deal for Nathan Brown on the uh, Northern Beaches. Do you know what I recall in the dark recesses of my mind that he had an opportunity. Yeah, he did. To, he did to go to. Yep, he did. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. They, they, they were before he resigned with us uh, prior to obviously the big split happening. Um, I believe Manly were his quarters um, in that case, and he ended up staying at Parramatta, but had a pretty reasonable deal for Manly on the table. So no surprise that they've come back now. Well, <laughs> there probably should yeah. be a surprise because um, you know Brownie's form hasn't been fantastic, but um, you know sometimes, as with us with Morgan Harper, sometimes the market you know dictates who your depth signings are. Well, I'm prepared to go out on a limb here and I'm being a little bit facetious in saying this, that his deal won't be in the vicinity of what he was offered before. <laughs> uh, I, mean, um, I haven't really I haven't really gone out on a limb. No. <laughs> no. Now, it, the complete opposite of that is Hamoli Olakowatu. Holy who, uh, moly of an offer, Olakowatu. Yeah, now, now, Hamoli <laughs> Olakowatu. Former students at Guildford West Public School, mate. Former <laughs> student at Guildford West Public School has, yes. Well, let, let's throw it to you again, John. What what's the details going on here? So he he recently had a short term extension uh, inked with the Seagulls, I believe, or his current contract car- carries through for another two seasons. But Manly are very keen to keep the Sharks at bay uh, and not let him get anywhere near the free agency market. And uh, the rumour is that they've offered him a what, what would be in total an eight-year deal, but a six-year extension on his current deal uh, worth in the vicinity of 850 k per uh, to keep him uh, tenured for oh, right. pretty much the majority of his uh, playing career as a Manly Seagull. And look, Olakowatu, very talented, no doubt, but we, we have spoken about plenty of these contracts in the past. When you start getting past four or five years, especially for a non-spine player, um, you are putting yourself at a lot of risk and opening up a lot of vulnerability on your cap. Uh, if there are any long-term injuries that aren't career-enders that let you go through the, the whole insurance process of writing off a contract, 
Um, and Olakwato is very, very talented. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but yeah, an eight-year contract is, in my mind, fairly <laughs> crazy. Can we also assume that there would be some clauses in there of, that if uh, the salary cap was increased, uh, they like they they are they are mandatory now, I believe. I believe ratcheting clauses yeah. are actually it, baked be, into all contracts. Like, yeah, at, at least at least from a CPI perspective, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah the, uh, but to, to some extent, ratcheting clauses are baked into it's a standardized clause. I don't know about like full on cap increases like we're going to see uh, when we have when we you know get all the stuff ratified, but um, and and then for the next CBA. But yeah, uh, ratchet clauses uh, to some degree are baked into contracts now. Yeah, well, let's do. I'll throw this to Clint. He can do. We'll have to come up with different words, but our equivalent of the old uh, try, no try signs that people used to be able to hold up, or <laughs> they still do at the football. But um, uh, w- what's your verdict here, Clint? Uh, an eight year deal for Hamoli Olakuatu, uh, as John said. Terrific player. Like, if if suddenly he said, uh, "Look, I'm fed up with living on the northern beaches. I'm fed up of the good money over here. I'm fed up of being a star in this team. I'm going to come to Parramatta." <laughs> like, I'd be I'd be very very pleased about that. Um, but eight years. What's your What's your verdict on a contract of that length? That is a big fat no try. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's it's too long. It's far too long for a non-spine player, as as Forty's just said. Um, you know, like and, and even spine territory, um, spine players, you you you're you're looking at um, very risky territory. And I know we say that obviously with the caveat that Dylan Brown has a, a long-term contract uh, with with the view that both player and club can um, renegotiate and re um, reevaluate their contract at certain uh, intervals and. You know, that's not to say that uh, the proposed contract for Hamali Alakawatu doesn't have that either. Um, but, you know, we think I think back um, all those years ago to the Terry Campisi contract at Canberra. I think it was five a five-year deal. And um, obviously he had a wretched run of injuries that interrupted that. And he, he, he signed that deal after coming off a career year. But eight years, so much can change in that time, in, in that space of time. Do you guys know where you were eight years ago? What you're doing? Like you, you, yeah, like you a, think about everything that's happened time. between that point in time and now. Your life's completely changed. It will be the same for everyone listening to this right now. So much happens between now and then. I get the from the player perspective. It's great. You're, you're locking in income for for almost a decade. But um, you know, from a club perspective, you got to be you got to question if someone's doing their due diligence there. Eight year, yeah, but, ten year contracts. You're starting to talk baseball, like not obviously not the same sort of money, but in terms of duration, talking baseball contracts. And they're traditionally done with understanding that you're getting production out of the first half of the contract. Then it starts to slow down the second half. And then at the, like, the very end, there's just like, essentially void years in the contract. Like you're either going to be cutting the player, trading the player, or uh, just taking them on as a black hole in your, in your roster. And that's the same risk you face in rugby league uh, when you take on a player. Because like you said, eight years... You can barely remember what you're doing eight years ago, let alone project where you're going to be in eight years in the future. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not a fan, and uh, I know it's meant to be a, a free market with the NRL within the restrictions of the salary cap. But these sort of contracts, alongside the Tamalolo one, it, it does make you wonder if it needs to be 
better clarity and, and structures put in place to provide framework for long-term deals um, because all it takes is one one club anchoring their salary cap with the wrong player, which is going to happen at some point, um, whether it's Talmolo getting hurt or Olaquita getting hurt but not hurt enough to retire or it's someone else. Uh, some club is going to put themselves into a world of pain of a long-term contract and they're going to come begging the NRL to help them. And right now there is no no support for that and that's maybe why we need to we being the NRL obviously not the TCT podcast the tip sheet uh, you know might need to talk about a framework for these long term deals about what you can and can't do yeah I think I think that's probably going to get to that point at the other end of the scale we've got uh, another bright star on the rise in Sua Wong extending for two years at the Roosters now um, the coin's not as much. Still healthy. Uh, the deal's the deal. The deal's not as long. Uh, he's undoubtedly a talent. Forty. Yeah, he was uh, one of the breakout young players this year. Uh, was very very handy on the edge for the Roosters. Uh, great work rate on and off the ball. Was uh, very very nuanced as a line runner for a young guy. I think he was turning twenty this year. Does he end up inking a, a two year eight hundred and fifty thousand dollar extension? That's total not per annum, so 425 per. Uh, not mega money by any means, but very, very good money for a 20-year-old. So uh, well done to him for securing the bag, as the young kids like to say. Um, and hopefully he can, I mean, always a caveat of, you know, hopefully he can do it, but not against the Parramatta Eels, but can continue to develop and progress because he looks like a real talent. Um, and, you know, poor Roosters, and I'm nerfing another talented player. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you got to feel sorry for them. Oh, just- Absolutely. <laughs> get, get the now pass my Queenix. Uh, now um, a bit of bit of news also as well around the Warriors looking for a bit of an Anzac Day parody, mate. Yeah, uh, this was a breaking story actually. Just as we went to record here on Thursday, um, the Warriors. I think it's been seven or eight years of Anzac tests now, which again comes back to Quint's point about what we were doing eight years ago. I didn't even know the Anzac test was that old now, um, but eight years ago or thereabouts, and it's every instalment of the Anzac test. Obviously, uh, there, there are two Anzac tests, or Anzac tests, Anzac games that are played on the public holiday, but the actual Anzac part of it, the Australia-New Zealand part of it, being the Melbourne Storm New Zealand Warriors, has always taken place in Amy Park or in Melbourne uh, throughout the lifetime of that test, and they're now asking that uh, the games be shared between Australia and New Zealand, which, you know what? That's a very, very greedy of them, boys. How dare they ask for that sort of parody in a in an Australian New Zealand uh, celebration of you know the, an important part of our history? Um, but yeah, I, I think this is a no-brainer. Much like how we spoke about, I mean, it, it's not quite the same as the COVID stuff. We talked about giving back to the Warriors there. Um, this one, you know, given the history between the two countries involved here and uh, the Warriors' importance in the NRL, uh, I'm, I'm actually surprised it's taken this long to ask. Yeah, yeah, it's it's something where um, I guess it's you've got the example of the um, Easter Monday clash between the Eels and the Tigers, where it alternates whose home match it is each year. Clint, do you see that as a, a fair thing for the Warriors to be asking for? Absolutely, and it's it should be a no brainer decision for the NRL in terms of um, draw scheduling as well. 
um, you know, the, the, the Warriors, it, it's a good time for the Warriors to be a, uh, asking for things and making requests because they've built up a lot of goodwill over the last couple of years. 40s just hinted at, um, obviously, the sacrifices they made throughout COVID. They had an excellent season this year. Um, they, they're probably very much the flavour of, um, of the neutral NRL supporter as well. And all they're asking for is, um, is, is, is parity and equity on and something. And, um, you know, uh, I think they're um, well within their reason to be asking for it. And I think the NRL should um, be doing everything they can to establish that moving forward. Yeah. And now, just before we get into the Pacific Championships wrap-up and tips, 40, there's got to be some West Tigers updates out there. There's, <laughs> there's no... There isn't a week that goes by with something happening. We, we, we're hearing about them maybe having a, a new stadium built for them out at Liverpool the other week. Um, now there's uh, there's more news floating around, surely, this week. They're taking blows from all angles as well. It's not just from Western Sydney. It's not just from the wider parts of Sydney. But now it's from Victoria as well because Roy Masters, I believe it was, uh, was reporting this week uh, that the West Tigers, despite having... The, uh, every club being uh, privy to the, the massive essential handout that the NRL gives them for salary cap and operational expenses will record a, a, essentially a $1.4, $1.5 million deficit in football operations this year. So despite all their struggles on the field, things are still pretty bad off it there for them. And Clint, you were, you were saying you read somewhere or heard somewhere about the uh, council looking to spend $100 million on Leichhardt Oval. Yeah, so the um, Inner West Council has uh, unveiled their $100 million master plan um, to restore Leichhardt Oval. Um, it restore, that's the word, was it? Restore. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> yes, interesting choice of word, isn't it? Um, the, um, it, would all, it would be reliant on funding from the state and federal government, so it would be from uh, all levels of government to make, happen, uh, to, to make that happen. Yeah. And um, it would include a new 1,500-seat um, roofed grandstand at the northern end of the ground, as well as um, improved uh, corporate hosting facilities uh, along the uh, western grandstand. So, um, yeah, look, you know, um, it, it seems like every other day that an architecture uh, firm is um, engaged to do renders of... Um, of potential stadium plans these days. Uh, uh, and uh, I guess Leichhardt, um, uh, the Inner West Council's trying to push the case to, to get some government funding. They've made a lot of um, noise uh, with uh, zero results thus far. Um, uh, this, to me, smells of them trying to strong arm and, and, and create a, a little bit of, um, I guess, um, community uh, noise and pressure around it. But now, fact of the matter is, and we've, we've discussed this at length in the past before, gentlemen, um, it just doesn't warrant it. You know, $100 million of, of, of state and federal money um, combined um, put put to a... Yes, the venue's dilapidated, but it, 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 we, we've, we've been there and we've discussed this element of it as well. It is a horrible place to travel to. Um, uh, egress is, is probably up there with the worst in terms of... Um, Sporting facilities in this country. It is a, a terrible place to get in and out of. Um, uh, beautiful sight lines. Uh, if you're talk, uh, talking the um, the bird's eye view, um, obviously looking over the the, um, the the bay run and 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 the bay itself there, and all of those beautiful Morton Bay fig trees that exist in around the ground. But um, yeah, look, 
an interesting interesting tact from the Inner West Council, given that only a few weeks ago, as you just referenced, sixties, that there was uh, talk and, and media pressure from the Tigers chairman around uh, a possible development at Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. So, it, look, it's interesting from a few perspectives. So, you're saying that the hundred million buys them a small stand at the the at the northern end at the northern end which is the the end where there basically isn't much in the way of spectator facilities or space that, that got, was where i think it was the the students from riverview crashed yeah, that's through the right. glass that's right yeah that's, yep yep so oh they're gosh. looking okay so they can they can approach that from a health and safety perspective that they need a proper yep. facility down that end but it's only getting them a 1500 seat stand they they would then use the rest of the money to build corporate boxes into the existing concrete stand there is that what you're saying and now yep, they're, along, they're, along now with this, brand new seats around the ground okay well they'd also want to have brand new seating in that stand as well because Correct. those seats those seats are fixed in place and if you've ever been in the stands there, uh, you you cannot stand up like you. Ha- in contrast, when you've got flip seats in a in a stadium, you can stand up in your seat at your seat, and therefore people can walk past you to get to their seat. In these ones, you can't stand up when someone wants to get past. You actually have to leave your seat, go to or, or, and either stand up on your seat to let someone go past or go and stand in the aisle just so someone can walk past where you are. And, um, yeah. You risk tearing uh, your ACL in the process. Yes, yes. So, um, for a start, it is you inform me that they can't replace those wooden stands because there's a heritage listing on on the yeah, Keith Barnes stand, yeah, the the, <laughs> the 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 um in 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 these renders and in the um, media release from the Inner West Council uh, across the course of the last week, the Keith Barnes stand, which anyone who's been to Leichhardt, that's the the stand that's um, behind the southern end that um, isn't uh, in alignment with the field. <laughs> and me the up. reason, <laughs> it, yeah. And and the reason for that, for um, for anyone who doesn't know, um, sharing a little bit of a little bit of history here, and Sixties um, uh, and I were actually talking about this earlier this year during a, a junior reps game. Is the field used to run um, in the opposite direction, and that's why the Keith Barnes stand is there. Um, for anyone who doesn't know the Leichhardt Oval, uh, Balmain Tigers history there, um, but it's heritage listed and it's still in exactly the same place. Um, uh, untouched in these renders, and you, I, I absolutely get, um, you know, uh, them wanting to hold on to an element of the past there, uh, and the fact that it's heritage listed, you know, that that's that that that's a big deal. But at the same time, I think there's a good way to honour the past by making it usable. If let's say hypothetically that money wasn't an option, and and they want to adopt a, a, a restoration plan for Leichhardt Oval. You can honour the past by making um, by making it better for future generations. Because that entryway, um, it's, it's only one um, one entry exit into Leichhardt Oval, um, adjacent to the Keith Barnes stand there, and it's a nightmare. 
you know, like, like from, again, from a health and safety perspective and egress perspective, it's not a good experience. Um, and likewise, because of um, getting in and out of the, the, the site as a whole, as opposed to just the stadium, um, and uh, also with the um, private dwellings that um, sit just behind Leichhardt there, um, capacity is going to be restricted anyway. So, you know, um, there's, there's a, as you said before, there's a lot of different angles that we can come up with this. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I find this just to be another example of, of a council wanting to do something, trying to apply a bit of, um, a bit of um, a government pressure and, and hoping the public will make enough noise about it as well to, to um, uh, try and render support for it. Yeah, and uh, well, I, I think I said to you before when you were telling me about the heritage listing, I said it's probably a heritage listing for some older termites <laughs> that, that acknowledge the, where their ancestors used to feast on the, <laughs> on the wooden stand there. But um, it's, yeah, uh, look, I mean, I, I, I feel sorry for West Tigers supporters who uh, have to go to like and, and I know that that's actually going to annoy many of them or anger them for me to say that because they 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 love the ground and it's if you're sitting in that stand at a junior reps game it's a it's a tremendous view of the ground it's um you know it's no better than than um you know the, like we have a tremendous view where we sit at uh Combank Stadium I, I wouldn't swap that the view that we have uh, sitting around the halfway line on that um, near the front tier of the of the stand, the oh, sorry, the top tier of the stand at the front of it. But um, you know, it's it's quite a decent view at Leichhardt Oval. But as soon as you've got any sort of crowd there, um, the facilities are antiquated. You've you haven't got um, good seating. You've got a big old hill that um, obviously is going to be kept. In a, in a ground that's about to have 100 million, that would theoretically mm-hmm. have 100 million pumped into it, a big part of the plan is to keep a hill. My goodness. Yep. Like, seriously, what century are we in? What decade are we in in this century? Like, you can't have a, a, one of the major sports in a country, the, the, the premier competition... And I and this goes for any of the grounds. You, you don't have hills these days. Like we're talking about the sixties and the seventies with could hills. Could you imagine? Could you imagine uh, Anthony Albanese and Peter Volandis in the two seconds they spent with uh, President Joe Biden during the week, going, "Hey, you want to see this sport, rugby league?" And the first thing they show him is Leichhardt Oval. Well, let, let's say they said to them. Let us show you the eighth wonder of the world. This is, <laughs> this is one of the venues that that we take great pride in. And then, if he wasn't yeah, if he wasn't already asleep, they would absolutely put him to bed. You know, like yeah. And and again, I I, I don't. I'm not saying this to to put garbage on on uh, a a great old venue of a club. Yes, it's got great heritage there. I used to love Cumberland Oval. Would I want Cumberland Oval to be the ground that I'm going to now? <laughs> Are you kidding? Yeah. You know, like, it, it, in all seriousness. Like, and, 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 and to that point, 60s, 
you know, I, I mentioned before about honoring the past. You, you go down to Parramatta Lease Club on the site um, uh, prior to heading into the precinct of um, Combank Stadium. There is still an old turnstile there from, yep. um, from Cumberland Road. That's a nice way of honoring the past while having a venue and having something that's fit for purpose for the present and the future. Yeah, and let me say something to West Tigers supporters and, and primarily to the Balmain component of West Tigers supporters. It's the supporters that make the venue special as much yep. as anything else. So when you're talking about it is a special day going to Leichhardt Oval and what have you, if you, if you had um, a stadium that was, you know, more up to date, and, and again, we're, we're talking about the, the, the location there is, you know, the, is the problem with the just getting to and from and parking and what have you um, it would it would need a major rebuild they've got multiple venues that they use they've, there's a whole lot of other issues that you know need to be addressed but let's say for example that the infrastructure was sorted um, and they were able to build a stadium there would there be West Tigers fans who would seriously say, no, don't build us a new stadium here in this location. We want the hill. We want this old stand here. This is who we are. This is our heritage. Would this? Would you seriously want to do that, West Tiger supporters? And if you're arguing that it's um, that you know it's a special place, I I would argue that the supporters who go there make it a special place, and that the atmosphere comes not from the ground itself but from the people who fill the ground. So it's, as far as I'm concerned, you know, like there is nothing special about not being able to park within Kui of the place, not having adequate toilets there, not having adequate facilities there, um, being asked to pay $70 to, or whatever it is to sit on the hill. I say there's nothing special about that. You know, it's... um. But anyway, we move on. Uh, this is a this is our wheels <laughs> uh podcast. Um, Pacific Championships, boys. Um, thoughts about last week because there was, um, I think there was a couple of results that you know I certainly wasn't expecting. Um, not in terms of the final result, but with how the how the scores panned out. Um, I thought Fiji would do a number on Cook Islands. Um, yeah, did the Cook Islands <laughs> Cook Islands lift to Fiji that bad? Cook Islands and both both grades, the men and the women, turned up and were mm. highly competitive. So well done to them there, because yeah, we I think we were pretty much in consensus that the Cook Islands were going to be in a lot of trouble against Fiji. Maybe they'd you know be competitive for you know fifteen twenty minutes and then get absolutely run over. Instead, we had a hard fought game, like hard. Yes, yeah, and and basically. It was uh, when it mattered. Fiji held the ball, and the tri- the winning try was a fairly simple. Um, yeah, step, step back from right stick. to left and just catch the uh, the fatigue defense. Sure, yeah, yeah. Sunia Tariva found that little hole to die through. Yep, yep. Um, the Kiwis winning fifty nil. I think I I think from memory I said I expected it to be about a a thirty point. You, you went for, match. yeah, 30-point match, yeah, I think, well, differential, yeah. 
and it was obviously in excess of that. Samoa, yeah, the, you you can't run a centre at five eight, and and you know Dejan being your primary halfback is just an unfair burden on a you know a young guy that uh, isn't a frontline NRL playmaker yet. So yeah. you know having that happen there, and then even a young Far Longo at fullback who was immensely talented with the ball in hand. Uh, was really struggling in defence. The Kiwis just were picking on him in the back line there. Um, and he, he really couldn't make those last line tackles at someone like Quentin Gufferson, who I suppose were being spoiled in that regard. But, you know, we get to see him firsthand every week making those plays. Um, yeah, and the Kiwis, to their credit, didn't look like a team that had had the week off in this competition. They came in and were quite sharp from the get-go. Uh, and again, this comes back, they're spine. Yeah, Nickel Clockstar, uh, Dylan Brown, Jerome Hughes... And then at dummy half, they had Kieran Foran, who is not a traditional dummy half, but if anyone's going to make a fist of it at dummy half, it's Kieran Foran. Um, they looked very, very good there, and the rest of the team just worked like clockwork around them. Um, Clint, what did you think of Dylan Brown's form? Um, I, I thought he played very well, you know, um, and, and the stat line reads as such. You know, he, he was classic Dylan. Um, you know, he, he, was, he was running. I, I know he doesn't have a try assist to his name, but, um, you know, it, a, a, a lot of those runs set up the, play, the ensuing plays in which points followed. Um, likewise, he, he dug into the line um, with some of the backline movements that he was a part of, um, and um, and classic deal in defence as well. You know, super reliable. Um, and Samoa obviously didn't ask very many questions, um, but you know, it, it it felt like the Dylan um, that we had become accustomed to prior to his suspension earlier this year. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's good for him and it's good for the Eels um, moving forward um, that, that, that he continues to play. And he, he gets a, a really good opportunity to, to put his best foot forward again this week against Australia. I'm not sure which movie covers it better, but what do we think about the, uh, the Magic Manu or the Full Manu doing the, uh, <laughs> the old uh, strip show on, on the uh, national TV there? <laughs> I've never seen a jersey be completely shredded like that. You see him plenty get torn up and barely intact, but he it actually got shredded to pieces, and he's just out there for a set or two playing with just his uh, uh, shorts on. <laughs> that's, 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 when you, that's when you're playing summer touch. Yeah, you know, his shirts, no in. shirts and whatnot, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he's a very good player, I'll say that, even even without a jersey on Joey Manu. He did, a, did all right. So, uh, yeah, I mean... It's it's also a shame that the some of the steam about Samoa being a, a full on tier one nation has been lost. Uh, but again, mm. you look at that back line in that forward pack, it, it is not a matter of those two units being anywhere near second class. It's just that the the biggest gap facing all these developing rugby league nations and teams is developing a, a world class playmaking core. And yeah, yeah. It, it's the thing that's gonna keep them from being consistent performance, uh performer, sorry, at the highest level until they can. But you know, Dylan, there's also the opportunity for some of these teams to maybe strike a little bit harder when the iron was hot, because Dylan Brown was eligible for Samoa. No, oh, I was just gonna, I was just gonna say that the New Zealand team still has players there who are eligible for the uh, Island Nation. We, we've seen with Tonga, who again probably aren't a fully fledged Tier One country. Still, they're probably Tier One point five, maybe even like Tier One point one or whichever way you want to look at it closer to one. But uh, they the big impetus for them was convincing guys like Jason Tamalolo to turn their back on, on other national heritage and make Tonga a, a, you know, a tour de force. So 
that's that's going to be the secret for Samoa moving forwards is getting guys like and I know he was injured, but Jerome Lloyd, Dylan Brown, um, and and again you want to, uh, you want an out and right out and out halfback in the mix there too. Uh, we're getting those sort of players to commit to Samoa. Yeah, and, and and we should also mention it wasn't a bad game between England and uh, Tonga. No, it wasn't. As well, you know, entertaining. In fact, I thought it was uh, one of the uh, the better games. I, uh, you know, there was elements of the uh, of the Pacific Championships that have disappointed me in terms of the standards. Uh, but I thought the England and Tonga game was uh, was quite a good standard. And- um, I, I was just wanted to um, get on to the Kiwi Ferns and Mate Ma Tonga in the women's because uh, we certainly saw some Eels players in that match and um, there was a, a certain player uh, in the halves who we have been banging on about in, in terms of being somewhere in the Eels team where she's going to get her hands on the ball more than what she does and uh, she delivered 40. Yeah, Cassie Toihiku, we keep saying it, but she she's not an emerging superstar. She has arrived. She's a superstar in the NRLW and the NRLW representative scene now. Uh, incredibly talented. Uh, was doing wonderful things in the centres for us on both sides of the ball, attacking and defending, as well as kick chase too. Was outstanding in that regard too. Uh, and we see her in a position now for the Mate Ma'a uh, Tonga team where playing 5-8 alongside another centre. So it wasn't like she was paired ideally with her organising half. She was playing alongside Tiana Penatani. So they had the big limitations in terms of organisation there for the team and still made a serious impression up against one of the best teams in the world in the Kiwi Ferns. Uh, there is no doubt in my mind in the 60s, and I'm sure you both agree, Quinton and Craig, that you can't be putting her in the centres next year for the Parramatta Reels. Like, whether, no. whether it's fullback, whether it's 5'8", with uh, Rachel Pearson as the organising half there, um, I don't know what the best fit is, but it's got to be one of those two positions. She needs to oh. be one of the primary playmakers in this team. Yeah, yeah. she's She showed that she has the skill set. Um, she obviously would have a little bit of learning to do in terms of uh, completely reading the game and being in position for kicks and, and things like that because there was a couple of times where... Um, and you also have to think about what the service is like getting the ball to her, where she wasn't in the best position to uh, take the kick. But when she's connecting with the ball, she's she's got one of the bigger kicks in the women's game. And, just um, an out-down yeah. athlete, isn't she? She's like one of those players that when you play with them or against them and you watch them just warming up and they're just doing everything with ease. Like they, they're kicking the football, they're catching off the ankles off like a bad pass and... They make everything look easy. Cassie just has that talent. Just a female. And, and, and Clint, I don't know whether uh, you have the same impression as well, but I watch her play and I think to myself, I don't think you understand how good you could mm-hmm. be. And, mm. I, and I think one of the first things for the new incoming coach at the Eels is going to be, obviously that first thing that we've spoken about, which is get her somewhere in the spine. And secondly, it's going to be um, just harnessing the self-belief. That, like, because I honestly think the sky is going to be the limit for her. Mm. I really do. Like, uh, she's she seems to be doing things on on her ear, and it's like 
it's almost like it's I'm trying to think the the right way of expressing this, but it's like she's doing it and there's an element of surprise that she's in her um, well it's it's like it's coming easy but she doesn't have the belief in it. I, I don't know what mm. it is. Hard to put into words, but it. I, I think I'd like to see her really push the limits of what she can do because, to me, we're already saying she's arrived and I think her potential is is far, far and away above where she's at right now. So, you know, do you see that? Do you think she's... She doesn't believe. She doesn't understand how good she could be, yet. Um, yes, I, I I do see that. And, you know, and I think I think maybe you know, like the, the, there's probably a little element of confidence being rocked by the way that uh, um, you know the, the results of the the NRLW side this year, and you know some things not quite working um, from a team perspective, and being you know playing playing in some sides that um, were on the end of some unfavorable score lines. Um, but she still had plenty of good moments through, throughout the year this year. And, you know, I, I, I think it was um, the previous NRLW season that was her maiden NRL season. And, um, and I think she, she probably had a, a, a case of, um, I wouldn't necessarily say like the jitters or the fumbles per se, but she had, she had her moments where, you know, um, I, I don't, I don't think the self-belief was quite there and, I, there's probably she, I think she's only young still, isn't she? Is she like about twenty years of age? She just you know, so, turned. I think she, she actually turned twenty this week. So, so you know, she's still very much finding herself as a person, and 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 your confidence as a person at that age, and and asserting yourself. And you know, um, it's uh, it's very much a case of um, when when she catches up um, confident. Uh, confidence-wise, and 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 has that um, that mental confidence in herself, that self-belief. Um, uh, I I I think she'll she'll shoot, and um, and really take off. And and if you ask me um, personally, I think um, the best place for her to do that is at fullback, where she's running the ball against a broken defensive line as much as possible, and 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 still has the opportunity to chime into the attacking line. I I really think. Um, you know, and, and it's been shown time and time again. You need to have a strong fullback in the NRLW. Um, I think she's our number one, and we have to and we have to persist with her at fullback moving forward. Okay, now let's uh, let's get into our tips. Let's stay with the women to start off with, seeing as though we've just been talking about them. Uh, we've got the Jillaroos taking on the Kiwis. So this is the big one that we've been waiting for. Uh, Saturday, six o'clock. Um, so we've got the um, all the players, the, the big names that we're expecting to be in the team are in the teams this week. So we're we're seeing uh, the let's look at the the couple of the main matchups. So you've got at fullback Tamika Upton up against RP Nichols um, in the halves. You've got Aiken and Brigginshaw against uh, Nathan Wong and McGregor. Up front, you've got uh, Shannon Marto and Jessica Elliston up against Maya Hilmoana and Angelina Taikarangi Katoa. That's going to be um, that. Those Kiwis can really bring it in there in the uh, in the 
the engine room there. Uh, we're seeing Samai Metalfa as well in the middle up against Georgia Hale. That that's a that's a big match up there. Our own Kennedy Sherrington's coming off the bench, and we've got um, uh, a, a couple of um, former Eels there um, in well, definitely Nevada. George Ashley Quinlan was she with us as she well? She was at five eight. Yeah. In the second yes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they're they're lining up off the bench for the um, for the Kiwis. So um, yeah, it, it's it's going to be a ripper of a game. Uh, I should also mention um, Mele Hufanga for the Kiwis. I mean, we saw um, and Abigail Roach like two completely different styles of player there with the with the two two of those up against. Um, uh, Sergis and Isabel Kelly um, for Australia. Um, we, what way do you see this going, fellas? Uh, John, I'll throw to you first. Uh, the Kiwis pushed the Aussies when they met not too long ago in this tournament, so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's tough again, but it, it is difficult to tip a Kiwi victory here. I think it's going to be either a tough loss or a, a pretty healthy loss because the Aussies can definitely break out to a pretty healthy lead with the likes of Tamika Upton, who continues to show why she's probably the best player in the code. Um, you know, just being available and in a primary position for the Kiwi, for the Kiwis, for the Jillaroo, sorry. Um, so I, I think the, the as the person who tipped a close game last time, I think the Jillaroos might end up winning by a bit of a margin in this game. Yeah, Clint? Yeah, um, look, it's... Um, it, it's hard to disagree with John there. Um, you know, as 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 uh, the players have warmed into the tournament, I don't think we've really seen um, Australia flex their their muscle. Um, as, as strange as that might sound to say, um, and I think um, to your point, sixties about um, Tamika Upton's presence on the field. Um, I I. I see her ready to do some things. So, um, yeah, I, like like um, like forty, I, I see potentially a, a bigger scoreline in this one. I'm anticipating that um, you know we, we might see something in a, a fourteen to twenty plus point victory here. Okay, to Australia. Yep, yep. Oh, look, I think I think that's probably going to be likely if uh, Australia plays to their potential. Um, yeah, it's look. It's probably going to be hard to go past them, but I I think it will be if the the longer the Kiwis stay in the contest, the uh, the more chance there is that uh, something can unravel for Australia. You know what? I'm going to go for a close one in this. I think Australia by six points, um, but uh, yeah, I think. I think I, I may want to uh, reevaluate after the first 10 minutes. I think the first 10 minutes, <laughs> the first 10 minutes, it's like how we, you know, usually feel about Parramatta. You can normally tell how they're going to go watching the first 10 minutes of the game. Um, <laughs> and I think, I think the first 10 minutes will, will tell the tale of this one. Now we've also got Australia taking on New Zealand, the Kiwis in the men's uh, Saturday, 8, 10 PM down in Melbourne with this one. Um, let's have a look at some of the uh, major talking points. Well, um, we've got Dylan Edwards still there on the wing. Uh, Valentine Holmes getting the other wing spot. That's 
there's been a little bit of um, talk around that. He, him saying that he's grateful that he's been given the opportunity to be back in the test team so quickly after his indiscretion. I think we pretty much... Um, uh, it must be it must be nice that. to make a a cock up of that magnitude and then to have that kind of backing come for you oh. to have Mal Meninga come in and say no no I want this guy in camp he needs to be in camp you know I want to reward him for making a huge mistake yes <laughs> yeah, it, it is I mean look I'm sure there would have been no supporter who would have uh, taken exception if he hadn't have been selected in the Australian team for this. I mean, good luck to him and, you know, hope he does well. But, um, yeah, I, I think most supporters would have said, you know what, fair call if the decision had been made, look, we're not going to put him in the Australian team this year because of, um, because of that reason. But anyway, um, Cherry Evans still at seven, getting older, is good mate and your favourite player. Jake Trebojevic, starting <laughs> prop. The old stalwarts. Yeah, I mean, starting prop. Dewey's still not at the peak of his powers, but still a very, very good halfback. Um, I mean, the the caliber of the Aussie pack lets you uh, pick, you know, certain players like that, I suppose. And you know, again, Jake, great club player, fantastic bloke. I just, it is frustrating seeing getting all these rep runs, but. You know, he, obviously his character helps a lot with that. And, you know, it's in that way, it's it's good to see a good guy get rewarded. I mean, in the same breath, we just spoke about Valentine Holmes. So, you know, seeing an idiot get rewarded is frustrating, but I suppose it could be worse than seeing someone like Jake get rewarded. Well, look, I think it's interesting that our starting props are Jake Trebojevic and Tom Flegler. Now, Flegler had, you know, a very good, very good season for the Broncos, but it's a fierce and pair up against, though. Well, you know, they're facing Fisher Harris and Leota. Um, that's a that's a fair um, opponent to have lining up. Um, I must admit, I'm a little bit surprised um, that uh, Patrick Carrigan uh, can't get the the starting role ahead of Jake Trebojevic. Um, Carrigan's got an enormous motor, um, really bends the line when he's um, in, in attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's coming off the bench in this alongside Lindsay Collins and uh, Harry Grant, where we've got uh, Ben Hunt getting that starting gig ahead of Harry Grant. Um, and, of course, uh, Nico Hines, well-documented, um, getting his um, Australian jersey there. Um, let's look at the uh, Kiwi team. A couple of uh, quick takes. The Harbs, Brown and Hughes. Uh, Charles Nickel Klockstad at, at uh, fullback. But, of course, the surprise selection there, really, of Kieran Four and at Dummy Half. How did you think he went last week at Dummy Half? I thought he went okay. It was all right. I mean, Kieran Foran is like one of the halves that would make that transition Fairly mm. cleanly, purely because he's so freaking fearless. You know, almost, you know, I say almost, clearly, to the detriment of his own body throughout his career. Uh, so no surprise that he handled the transition there and the increased workload uh, quite effectively. Um, so, yeah, I I don't know who who would be... Who's not available that would force Kieran Foran into dummy half in this series? 
Uh, well, uh, Brandon, Brandon Smith had played there previously. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. What? Yeah, what is the situation with Brandon Smith? Was he not selected in this squad? I don't, I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying I, to I legitimately think. don't know because he came back for the finals for the Roosters, didn't he? Yeah, well, he was, he was playing late season. I'm just trying to think. Did he get injured? Yeah, did he get injured again? I don't know. Because the Roosters took a lot of damage in that game against Cronulla, so maybe that put him out uh, for the international season. Because uh, Farmanu Brown is... Uh, yeah, is, is the, the other, other. half option, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. look, I mean, the rest of the pack is uh, enormous. Clint, what's your tip in the game? Well, I mean, you'd like to think that Australia get the job done here, but, you know, I look at the New Zealand forward pack and um, certainly the starting pack. I, 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 if, if they can get out to a quick start, New Zealand... Um, there's no reason that they, they, they can't win this one. I, I think Australia gets it done in a tight contest. I think it's, um, it's probably going to go um, down to the, the final 10 minutes before a, a win is determined. Um, but yeah, if, if, if New Zealand get the jump and you know, those, um, the Penrith middles uh, along with Joseph Tarpane have their way, um, they've got enough running power and firepower in New Zealand to, to hurt this Australian side on the scoreboard. It isn't a formidable Australian side like previous Australian sides have been. But, you know, granted, this game is a little bit of a, um, uh, a free hit for the teams given they'll be playing each other in a final again next week. Um, and I was kind of hoping New Zealand may have um, given some of their extended squad a, a run. It would have been nice to see Wiramu um, get a start for New Zealand after playing for, uh, for New Zealand Day last week. Um, but, um, you know, um, hopefully the experience in, um, in camp and in the squad does him a world of good, but yeah, um, I, I've, I've, I think Australia gets it done tightly. Uh, I've, I think it's, um, 10 or less point, uh, 10 or less margin. Um, but, uh, I, I see the New Zealand forwards, uh, definitely giving that Australian starting pack at least a little bit of grief. Yeah. And, uh. Look, I'd be very surprised if uh, in the next match, if um, someone like Payne Haas isn't in the um, Aussie pack somewhere. Mm. Somewhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, John, what's your what's your tip here? One thing the monitor before I give my tip is that there are some reports about the health of Cameron Munster. He battles an illness ahead of this game. So uh, if he is you know, going to succumb to that, they'll probably see, presumably... Uh, Nico Hines come in from the interchange to start in the halves alongside Daly Cherry Evans and then to bring in another player onto the interchange, whether it's the likes of uh, Liam Martin or Tino or Payne, um, if I want a bit more beef there. Uh, I think Australia, I don't know if they're deserved favourites. Uh, I am going to go tip the boil over. Uh, I'm going to go for New Zealand to win 20-18, 24-22, a real tight one. Um, and yeah, add a bit of spice to the ahead of his championship match. Um, I think New Zealand's got the, absolutely got the roster to win this one. They had a well balanced backline, forward pack, and, and most importantly, as we keep banging on, they've got a quality playmaking group. And if Hughes and Brown fire in this one, uh, I think they can get them over the line. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go even stronger. I think uh, the Kiwis get the job done by about eight points. Ooh. Uh, yes, uh, and then we come to. Um, the next match, which is the uh, Kummels against Fiji Barty, uh, kicking off 4pm Sunday. 
um, looking at at this. I mean, we've got a good match up at fullback with uh, Alex Johnson against Jareem Buller. Um, in the halves, I'm going to suggest that uh, a slight edge maybe to the Kummels with uh, Lachlan Lamb in the halves up against uh, Brandon Wakeham. Um, uh, interesting to see Ipapi um, mm. there for the Kummels. Yes, um, he's back think, finally. Yes, and I, I think that's going to that's gonna give them a real um, edge there. Look, and given... Given the form of Fiji in in this, especially that last game that they've just played against um, uh, the Cook Islands, that was as unimpressive as I've seen from a Fiji team. Like that was just it was it was middling to be generous. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, it really was. I mean the um, it look. I, I'm going to say it. I, I thought it was a low standard game. It really was. It was. Um, I, I've seen better contests at reserve grade level, uh, at New South Wales Cup level. Uh, that that's just the brutal truth of the game, and that's not disrespecting either team, um, but especially the you know the Fiji team should have been better than that. The Kumuls always give everything, and you know whether it just doesn't work for them on a particular day or not you know that they are going to play with energy and commitment and passion. And I, I'm i going to go with my tips um, early on this before I jump to you fellas. Uh, the the Kumuls win, and they, they win by at least 12 points. In I'm, this. I'm going to double down on you. Oh, sorry, I jumped okay. the gun there. Sorry, Quint. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. So 40's on board with my tip there. Uh, Clint, yourself? Yeah, I see a 13-plus to the Kumuls here for exactly the reasons you said. Um, uh, on top of all those factors, in front of a home crowd as well, uh, they'll be well up for it. Um, yeah, it's it, it's hard to see anything other than a Kumuls victory. It would take a, a, a big reverse in form from Fiji to, to cause trouble for them in this one. Um, you know, while there's some really good players um, across the Fijian backline, um, I, I'm not seeing the style of play, nor am I seeing the um, the cattle and the forwards for Fiji to, to match it with the energy of, of the Kumuls. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, look, we're, we're pretty much wrapped up now with um, uh, getting up to date with things, but um, I, I just wanted to quickly touch on something without notice, fellas. Um, have any of you noticed... Um, the where things are heading in the Super League in England with um, the structure of their uh, competition moving forward? Um, no. Okay, so they've um, they've decided to go with um, well, it's almost the sort of thing that um, led to South being. Um, dropped out of the NRL. Um, so in, in consultancy, in, in collaboration with the IMG group, the Super League has come up with a grading system. Oh, no. For every club. Like a feasibility their, scale? This is, this is messy already. Yeah. So it's their 
it's a, a criteria to grade every club with a view to working out who participates in the 2025 um, uh, Super League over there. And they've got and, and they've got the criteria and uh, they end up grading the clubs as either a, an A category, a B category or a C category club. There are, here are the pillars. Um, fandom, which is obviously their ability to attract um, fans, uh, and that's both uh, at stadiums, at home, and uh, digitally. Uh, performance is the second pillar. Finance is the third pillar. The stadium is, is the fourth pillar, and the um, work within the community is the fifth pillar. And um, they, they, there's actually a book that tells them, a booklet, a guide that tells them how the points are allocated. So, for example, um, if we look at fandom, there's a, the maximum points that they can get is five points um, uh, for fandom. Uh, so fandom's worth five points. Performance, five points. Um, finances, 4.5 points. The stadium, three points. Community, 2.5. And when it's all added up, they get a score out of 20. Who gives a 2.5? Um, what? Yeah. Yes, I know. So, uh -huh. it, so if we break up fandom, right, attendance is, you, you, it gets a 2.5. Viewership one and digital one point five, and then digital that one point five is broken up into social following zero point two, website visits zero point five, and totally oh my goodness zero point eight. Um, then uh, now here's how it's broken up: average attendance. If they get average attendance of greater than seven thousand five hundred, they get the maximum two point five. If it's if they average more than three thousand, their points is two point zero zero. If it's greater than one and a half thousand, I mean we're talking about some disaster numbers here, aren't we? <laughs> um, one point five and less than fifteen hundred, zero point seven five. Now, let's bear in mind that there's an element of comparing apples and oranges here because yeah, they're comparing. Every club, no matter the tier, is based on the same criteria. Now, how is a club that's competing, say, in their champ in the championship? I think that's the name of the the level below the Super League. Mm -hmm. They're not going to get attendances that the Super League does. So straight away, the club, the clubs can't compete with the Super League clubs for attendance. They're not going to get the same uh, viewership on television as the as the main carried sport, you know. Like the Super League gets that. They're not going to get the same digital response. Mm. Like There's a case of have haves and have nots already building. Already building, correct, right? And so, anyway, there's lots of criterias and and controls and and all this sort of stuff, and there's. There's points for social following, you know, like there's combined 
uh, like in the digital scoring, you know, the social following more than 500,000 gets a 0.2 points, uh, more than 100,000, 0.15, uh, more than 50,000, 0.1, more than 10,000, 0.05. I mean, it's um, like it's, it's really uh, complex looking into this. I mean, like as far as fans are concerned, they're obviously just interested in whether the team wins or, or not. And performance only gets you a maximum of um, like four points. And and then I think there's an, a bonus one point for um, winning uh, championships. And the Super League gets a 0.75 straight away if you win the Super League. Um, you know how where it, corporate... Like, corporate entities yeah. insist on like you know outsourcing these big reviews to you know rebrand and reimage and restructure, and it ends up being like really convoluted and a waste of time and a lot of waste of money. Like this, sure sounds like that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So I was only drawn to it because uh, I was uh, I saw a little bit of um, social media around it um, where they they announced the gradings as they would be at the end of this year, which then gives the clubs that they did that. They've graded them already to give them an idea about where they sit going yeah, into like a residual ranking. So like, here's where you sit and, um, you know, a club. Uh, so the top club was the Leeds Rhinos who got an A category and a score of 17.49. Right, so you, you, all these all these points, you know, it, it really does come into some strange numbers. Uh, Wigan Warriors sixteen point eight seven, St Helens sixteen point seven eight, Catalan who played in the grand final um, sixteen point seven three. Um, let's see, where's a? Let me see if I can find a, a fairly well known club, um, Castleford ranked 13 and were a B category club came out as a B category that means could be considered to play in the Super League I, if you get an A you're guaranteed to play in the Super League B means um, you can be considered and there was only seven, league, 7 clubs which came in as guaranteed so and Castleford came in 13th so um yeah, it's and the London Broncos, who obviously they want to see in the Super League, and they're they're trying to really push. They ranked twenty fourth, <laughs> and That's... got a score of eight point zero seven. Eight point zero, like you know, yeah, Davis. You, you're not gonna you're not gonna grow a club if you don't give them. Like, if you want a club, if they wanted a club to be, um, like, if they wanted to grow an area for a, for a club, enter a new market, get a new market happening somewhere, um, they're not going to end up in the Super League in 2025. The London Broncos, you know, they're, they're not going to have, they're not going to have the crowds for a start. They've got to try to grow crowds. They can't compete. You know. Anyway, I just thought I'd mention that because it, it, it's it's interesting that 
they're going down that path in rugby league in England. And um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not too sure whether that's necessarily going to work. But um, yeah, it's interesting, you know, the points that are there for the stadiums and how the stadiums get ranked. I mean, some of those clubs that are playing in the in the in like in the second and third division, I mean, they're they're playing at grounds that are that are quite small. But then they get then they get points, even if they're playing at a small ground. However, they get points for filling the capacity of the ground. So, it's a bit of a so if you're playing at a, it's it's like it, 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 yeah. Anyway, I, management consultants, mate. That's <laughs> they're they're evidently running rugby league. You know, <laughs> so, and it's not a criticism of management consultants. That's a that's a criticism maybe of the um of the people that are running the, the competition. The yeah. Yeah. So anyway, okay, fellas, um, jam packed episode. Once again, how, what was the runtime, mate? What We're are we at? One one forty eight and counting. <laughs> so. Oh yeah. We're, the light show. It's the off season. That's it. <laughs> Brevity is the soul of wit. And, uh, I guess our soul lies elsewhere. <laughs> so fellas, <laughs> Thank you again for your fine work tonight. Thank you to all of our listeners uh, tuning in and, and to the people who continue to provide fo- positive feedback for us. We really do appreciate the fact that you that you listen and you take the time to give us feedback. Uh, thank you, of course, again, once again, to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf, North Mead and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta. Uh, it's it's fantastic that you uh, help us to be able to get our Eels content and NRL content out there to the listeners. And as I always say, fellas, go you mighty Eels.